Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. A uh, few weeks ago, maybe it was a couple of months ago, I went through a, a series of talks that was inspired by the inquiring mind issue on addiction uh, called uh, Breaking the Chains of Craving. And uh, we took a lot, um, a look over the course of several weeks about how this wanting mind works and ways to work with it. Uh, but I want to uh, revisit it again and uh, have a, uh, another slight uh, different perspective to explore with it. We probably, most of us know that in the teachings, in the Buddhist teachings, the cause of suffering is wanting. The second noble truth. There is suffering and the cause of much of our anguish and um, sorrow and uh, mental torment is the wanting mind, is attachment to things being a certain way or things um, not being a certain way. The wanting mind And as we said during those series of talks, we can know this very well, but uh, still get caught. It's one thing to have an idea, oh yeah, wanting things to be different than than the way they are, suffering. So all I have to do is stop wanting. Easier said than done. But we can also um, go overboard in thinking, oh, if I only don't want anything, I won't suffer. But this is also uh, a misunderstanding because it's not only unrealistic to not have hopes or desired outcomes, uh, but it's also not healthy to abandon all kinds of hopes, dreams, desired outcomes, and just um, go with the flow. I grew up in the in the '60s, and uh, that was a very popular expression for a lot of people who just. Uh, felt like uh, not engaging in life. You know, and just, oh, go with the flow. It's all cool, man. You know. A lot of people kind of flowed and flowed and uh, <laughs> sometimes submerged and, and maybe drowned for a little while and came up for air. So... I wanted to look at 
where these two meet, where how to both acknowledge the fact that wanting, craving, attachment to things being a certain way uh, creates extra sorrow and pain and suffering. And at the same time, to honor the human experience of wanting, being inspired, having desired outcome, like um, Michael was saying about that sit for change for activists. You know, if you really want to make a difference in this world, that is a very noble and um, inspired kind of wanting. We've talked before in the teachings the 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 difference between um, two kinds of desires. One, which in Pali is called tanha, which literally means thirst, that experience of craving, of a contraction and a, and a wanting where this moment isn't enough. And another kind of desire called chanda, which is a, a beneficial kind of wanting, where you have an urge to do something that's wholesome, an urge to make a difference in the world, and uh, an urge, a desire to be a more loving person or be a wiser person. Even with those wholesome desires, one can get attached and find oneself in craving. So it's not to say, oh, well, this is a good thing to want, and please, let me have it fast. (laughs) And if I don't, it's really painful. Come on, it's such a noble, wholesome thing. Bring it on. It's not here yet. Damn it, come on. So it's not only the inspiration, it's the energy that we bring to our even wholesome desires. This comes up a lot in meditation. Sure, most people here value meditation. You wouldn't be coming on a Thursday night and spending 40 minutes being quiet if you didn't think there was some value to it. And yet, we often want to do it right or want to have an effective, a valuable experience so that it is, um, uh, it's productive, it's meaningful. And this training of the mind is one that can have a a very um, valuable desired cultivation. It It takes a real wanting to train the mind. It takes a real commitment to develop the mind. But that wanting can easily work against you. One example of where this works against us in formal meditation practice is in concentration. 
if you value concentration, and there is a value to concentration, you can go on a retreat like this uh, loving-kindness retreat that's beginning tomorrow. Loving-kindness can be done as a practice that both opens the heart and can also be done as a practice that concentrates the mind. And one can get into very um, uh, profound states of concentration with uh, loving-kindness practice. You can also develop concentration, which is one of the links of the Noble Eightfold Path by using just the, the breath, the in and out breath, anapana, where you're focusing on that object so that you collect, compose, and um, develop a sharp focus of concentration. And with that concentration, you can then apply it to noticing changing experience. The thing about concentration is if you want it too hard, it doesn't happen. Have you ever gone, gone down to a, a sitting set in your, on your cushion or your chair and saying, I want to get concentrated? Or if you've done a retreat, perhaps you know this firsthand. God, I'm trying so damn hard. You know, I want to get concentrated. From the most pure place in the world, I want to get concentrated for the benefit of all beings, for, to fulfill my bodhisattva vow. I want to get concentrated. The problem is... You can't try too hard to get concentrated. You can't want it too much because the wanting itself is a contraction of mind and heart. And that contraction works against you. This is not how you develop concentration. Concentration develops from interestingly or ironically enough, from a relaxed, spacious mind that is letting go of an agenda, that is simply letting the attention become very interested in a particular focus. When you're doing the the metta practice, the loving-kindness practice, at first... Is anybody sitting the loving the metta retreat this coming? Ricardo, okay, you've done this before. If you if you um, do a loving kindness retreat, you know, and there you are saying, you know, may I be safe from harm? Some of the classical phrases: may I be uh, healthy? May I be happy? May I have ease of well-being? And you're just saying that over and over and over and over and over. You pick about usually four phrases, and you do continuously from the time you wake up until the time you go to sleep. And you, you're kind of programming your heart and your mind. And after a while, if you can surrender to that, 
you, the mind starts to collect and the, and the heart collects and you actually start to feel loving kindness amazingly. But at the beginning, it's, it sometimes can feel like, stop the mind, I want to get off. You know? Do I have to say it again? I just said those four phrases for the last eight hours. One more time, I have to do it. But after a while, actually, if you are persistent with it, and you've had a, if you've had experience before, you know that this happens, it just starts to, the phrases start to do you instead of you doing the phrases. And when you stop that trying so hard and just throw yourself into it wholeheartedly, there is a kind of magic that happens after a while. And even if you're saying, you know, at the beginning, may I be filled with, with peace? Yeah, right, not in this lifetime. You know. After a while, you start to just feel this kind of openness of heart. But if you're doing this for, to obtain some higher absorption states, which are quite uh, possible, the more you want it, the, that contraction works against you, as I said. And so there's a kind of ease and openness and trust that's required that has a, a strong commitment, has a vision of what you are wanting, but is not having that grasping, where you just throw your, your whole self, your whole heart into it. The same can happen with, um, love, with uh, not just loving kindness, but mindfulness practice. You know, I want to be mindful. When you're sitting there trying hard to be mindful, it can work against you. You know, it's kind of like you're watching yourself. You ever watch yourself, you know, perch yourself up at the ceiling and watch yourself go through what you're, you're doing? When, when it gets to watching yourself become enlightened, it gets very painful. You know, oh, I know it's going to come any moment. You know, forget it. You know, <clears throat> and even watching yourself just becoming more mindful—the more you want that, the more elusive it is. Again, because that contraction agitates the mind, it constricts the mind and the heart. And so, once again, there's something else that's needed besides this strong desire. It's like um, an analogy that I thought of, trying hard to balance yourself on a bike. You ever try hard to balance yourself? Forget it. As soon as you try hard to balance yourself, come on, how do I get balanced? You're out of your rhythm. And whereas really riding a bike just means relaxing, you know how to do it, you just pedal, and you trust that the adjustment the body knows how to make that adjustment, not with tightness, but with ease and in the flow, in a healthy way. 
I teach the uh, Awakening Joy course, and sometimes, often, people say, I'm trying so hard to be joyful. You know? <laughs> it's just not working. It will never work if you're trying hard to be joyful. So, where's the middle path in this? How can we have our wants, our healthy wants and dreams and desired outcomes without creating suffering for ourselves and with a healthy kind of movement towards our vision without the contraction? And this is where, just in, uh, as in meditation practice, this is the same in our daily life practice, we can use certain qualities of heart that are spoken of in, uh, in the teachings, uh, part of the uh, um, perfections, the paramitas, the paramis of, a, of somebody on the path to awakening where there is the, the quality, one quality called aditana, which is resolve, which is a kind of determination, but determination without the tightness. Just a kind of, you ever have that resolve that says, I'm going for this. I'm going for this can be said, I, I'm going for it, nothing's going to get in my way, or this is something that I'm committed to doing. The same, might be exactly the same goal, but with a different spirit behind it. There's a resolve, a ditana. There's uh, the quality of virya, or energy, and effort, where you're going to put in your, your time in a wholehearted way. There's the perfection of patience as well that lets go of the agenda, lets go of the timetable, lets go of the report card, and is just willing to show up in the best way we can and see what happens. And this is where the whole spirit of healthy wanting comes in, which is, as I've mentioned uh, often, the intention to have a particular outcome really involves inclining the mind, inclining the mind in a certain direction, inclining the mind towards concentration or towards mindfulness or towards loving kindness, inclining the mind and the heart, whichever one works for you, inclining the heart in that direction, inviting that to happen, inviting the mind to become composed, allowing for it to be composed, recognizing when it is composed, I'm using the concentration as, a, as a, a kind of symbol for any one of these. Inviting loving kindness or inviting a wholesome state of well-being. 
allowing for it to be here, recognizing when it's here, not missing it, and letting go of the agenda for it to be happening, just trusting that it's all going to happen in its all in its own time as you incline the mind and the heart that way. Mm-hmm. In uh, in concentration practice, by the way, when you do incline your mind or heart towards a particular object, say the breath, and you let yourself become interested in it, that's your part. So you just are focusing on the breath and just letting yourself, letting that childlike curiosity allow you to become fascinated. Wow, this breath is keeping me alive. What is a breath anyway? And there you are exploring the breath, not watching yourself get concentrated, but just being willing to throw yourself into it and allowing for that to develop. And then when you do notice yourself feeling, say, a state of well-being, to focus on it, recognize it, and become very focused on it. And that can be a doorway to deeper states of concentration. Joy is a factor of, of concentration. And you just let that noticing of joy carry you through. Oh, this feels so good to be so complete. And you just focus on the joy. Or if you're feeling loving kindness, right, and it's just starting to happen on its own, because you've been putting yourself wholeheartedly into it, and your heart starts to open, to just let yourself, to recognize that, and let yourself be really interested in how that feeling of well-being or loving-kindness feels. That throwing yourself into it without an agenda, then something mysterious starts to happen, or can happen anyway. But this means getting out of the way of your thinking process. You might say, how can I do that? It's so hard. But actually, we all do it from time to time. When we are completely settled into the moment and letting ourselves delight in the moment. Are you thinking, oh, you might have a thought, but it'll take you away. But generally, if you're completely tuned into the moment, you know, say it's a beautiful day out in nature and you just take a deep breath and take it all in, you don't have to say, oh, cool, I'm really being with the moment now. As soon as you do that, you're out of the moment, aren't you? Or at least you're kind of watching yourself be in the moment. But to fully allow yourself to enjoy that, you you know what that's like. Another time that we can allow ourselves to be fully in the moment like that or to not try hard is being in the middle of the creative process, which I, I want to just address 
for a little while because there, there's something in here that points to this wanting or unnecessary uh, suffering that comes with the wanting. With creativity, the same principle is at work. If you want to be creative, have you ever sat down and say, I want to be creative now. I've got to come up with, a, with some brilliant idea. And there you are, you know, you've got a project to do. And you're really, you're trying hard. It's painful, isn't it? It's really painful. Often, meditators have this experience. They, they say, the people who are new to practice, they say, I sit down and I'm just trying to pay attention. I get all these creative ideas. It's, it's amazing, you know, gosh, what do, I wish I could be this creative when I'm trying to be creative. What do I do with all the? Why am I so creative now? Well, it's precisely because you're not trying to be creative that life just flows through you and wants to express itself. So in that, there's a key here to let yourself... Just relax and trust that life will use you well if you show up. Mm. Now, you can't sit down in order to be creative. However, you can use it to your advantage if you're needing to come up with a creative idea and you've been trying really hard. Stop trying and just let yourself tune into the breath. Let yourself just relax, tune into the moment. Stop that contraction of mind, and something else wants to flow through you. Often when I, um, you know, I, I have to come up with a, with a talk topic, and it might be you know, a few hours before, what am I going to talk about? Holy cow. And uh, the more I try, it gets very frustrating. But when I say, oh, I think I'll go for a bike ride. And uh, when I do that, invariably, the thoughts just start coming through. Oh, that's, yeah, that's interesting. And then it's kind of trying to remember all the, the different ideas that come. I use little mnemonic sayings to myself. How am I going to remember all this while I'm riding the bike? You know? Or going for a walk in nature. You ever, you ever put down the project and just take a break? That's when the creative juices flow through you. It's so mysterious, isn't it? There was a, uh, this week's issue on uh, uh, Newsweek is creativity in America. It's really interesting. And it's uh, talking about the science of innovation and how to reignite our imaginations uh, it's it's kind of scary a bit about how creativity is plummeting in our country. Uh, actually, I'll just, as a sidelight, uh, read a little bit um, these studies analyzing almost 300,000 scores of children and adults on a creativity and IQ scale uh, that 
both creativity scores and IQ scores have been steadily had been steadily rising up until about 1990, and then the IQ scores continued to uh, to increase as the kids as their ex- kids are exposed to more information things like that, but the creativity has been consistently inching downward since 1990. Scores of younger children in America from kindergarten through sixth grade, the decline is most serious. And this is in contrast to a poll of 1,500 CEOs who identified creativity as the number one leadership competency of the future. So we really need creativity if we're going to continue to thrive as a society, particularly in our culture, um, it, there's a problem. Around the world, other, though, other countries are making creativity development a national priority. In 2008, British secondary school curricula from science to foreign language was revamped to emphasize idea generation and pilot programs have begun to use this creativity test to assess the programs. In China, there's been widespread education reform to extinguish the drill-and-kill teaching style. Instead, Chinese schools are also adopting a problem-based learning approach to increase creativity. Just read a little bit more of this. This is just so fascinating, then I'll get back to the topic. Um, this, This researcher recently toured a number of such schools in Shanghai and Beijing He was amazed by a boy who, for a class science project, rigged a tracking device for his moped with parts from his cell phone. When faculty of a major Chinese university asked this this, uh, researcher to identify trends in American education, he described our focus on standardized curricula, rote memorization, and nationalized testing. After my answer was translated, they just started laughing out loud. They said, you're racing to our old model, but we're racing to your model as fast as we can, the model of ingenuity and creativity. Anyway, towards the end of the, of the article, they talk about ways that creativity is released. And this has to do with the letting go of the wanting mind. <clears throat> One, reduce screen time front of TV and computers. Two, um, don't tell someone to be creative. (laughs) It will freeze, it, it will cause people to freeze up. However, there's a suggestion that works, do something that only you would come up with, that none of your friends or family would think of. That actually helps double the creative response when you're invited to come up with with something like that as a game. Another one, get moving. Almost every dimension of cognition improves from 30 minutes of aerobic exercise, and creativity is no exception. Another one, take a break. Those who study multitasking report you can't work on two projects simultaneously but the dynamic is different when you're talking about creativity. And he says, if you put one project 
if you put the creative project down and then take a break and do something else, there's something. It starts to shift your, your brain working just in one hemisphere and come, coming up with all other kinds of possibilities. Okay, so getting back to this wanting and but not wanting too much, healthy kind of wanting by inclining the mind and at the same time letting go of the agenda. I was talking to a friend this, uh, this week and remembering back to when I first did a, um, one of the early uh, retreats I led, it was a weekend retreat, and um, on the retreat was a dear friend sitting this retreat, uh, Sharda Rogel. It was her first retreat. She's, I'm going to be teaching with her at uh, the Metta retreat, and she's a wonderful, wonderful teacher. And she was a friend who was just getting into the meditation, and I really wanted her to have a great experience. It's like, okay, here she's going for it. She's trusting me, doing a silent weekend. And she came in on Saturday saying, this is the pits. I can't stand this. I'm going crazy. What did you do to me? What did you put me through? And it was... I really want her to have a good experience. And then it, it occurred to me, oh, wait a second. I want her to understand about the Four Noble Truths, that there's suffering in life. Well, she's getting it right now. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, maybe it's not, maybe all isn't lost, right? But as soon as I stopped wanting her to have a great experience, I said, I said, why don't you just, she wasn't short in those days. Uh, I said, why don't, why don't you just go, uh, go take a walk. Go lighten up. Just enjoy yourself for a little while. Just forget about being mindful. She took a walk, and magically, everything came into place for her and for, for me, too, you know. <laughs> Fortunately, she really got into this stuff and, and practiced very diligently. And she's, as I said, a great teacher. Have you ever had that experience where you want somebody to have a really good experience, where you, you just really are trying hard and it just works against you? Is a, I, I thought of this... Um, uh, actually, two songs, the Joni Mitchell songs uh, uh, from one of her earliest albums. She, uh, it's, I think, uh, The Heart and Mind of a Woman, I think it's called, is the title of the song. And there's a lyric there that says, uh, the times you impress me most are the times when you don't even try. Isn't that so? When you don't even try, then... You're very impressive. And a, a very uh, a similar uh, lyric that, um, uh, that came up to me, one of my favorite lyrics of all, Cat Stevens. Uh, I was and am a big Cat Stevens fan. 
And uh, the song, On the Road to Find Out, where he says towards the end of the song, well, I found my head one day when I wasn't even trying. That's how it works. You find your head one day. You, you come into your wisdom when you're not even trying. So the thing is, when you incline your mind, have that inspiration, invite, allow, be willing to show up as best you can, and you let go of the report card. When you give it up, when you let go, you seem to get it all. But you can't give it up in order to get it all, because it knows. You can't trick it. You can't say, okay, I'll let go. Come on, let's get the goodies. It really means just showing up completely wholeheartedly and just allowing life to reveal itself however it does. That requires trust. So uh, I'll just end this in a moment, but I'd like you to just reflect in your own life right now. Go inside. And you might think of some area, something, or some experience, or some goal that you really want. Hopefully, it can be a wholesome one. But get in touch with the heart that wants this, that longs for it. And you might even have an image of yourself manifesting that. You can let yourself be inspired by that vision. But then see if you can remove any kind of contraction, any kind of frustration, any kind of timetable that says it has to happen by, by then or I've, I've, I'm not going to pass my test. Just get a sense of what it would be like to put your whole heart into it and allow for life to unfold as it does. to be inspired, but not attached to the timetable of the outcome, or even to what the actual final outcome is, because it might take you someplace that you hadn't ever even imagined. See if you can connect with the aditana, with the resolve, with the willingness to put your whole heart into it, and with the patience that just allows and trusts. And how beautiful that can feel. 
how you can inspire yourself. It's the art of inclining the mind. And if you are in touch with that at all, just one more moment, make the heartfelt decision to show up as best you can to help bring that about while letting go of the control that you never had anyway. like you can come back open your eyes and uh, you can take some time to check in and any comments any observations any questions yeah Let's see and where's the No, because we're recording it. So, um, yeah, we'll take it. Oh, thanks. Yeah, and just raise your hand. Put it right I'm next to your mouth. That, that's it, like that. I'm thinking about the difficulty of staying present in difficult situations. Yeah. Situations that seem to have contraction as part of their nature. Such as divorce. Such as? Such as divorce. Divorce. Mm -hmm. And say a bit more. You're thinking, what are you thinking about that? Uh, what I'm thinking about is I have, you know, certain pictures of what I see as desirable outcomes, physical living situations, and desires to get there with um, limited means and also skillful means of using those limited means. I, you know, it's one thing to, you know, when, when joy comes and rests on your shoulder. It's enjoy. When joy comes like a butterfly and rests on your shoulder yeah. as opposed to a situation, you know, you have to slog through with as much elegance and uh, presence as you can. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. So, in your wisest moments, how would you, how do you think you might, what attitude might you bring that um, is within the realm of possibility in your wisest moments, how to relate to the experience that, that doesn't add more suffering than is already there? Well, I try and practice it, and sometimes it's successful. It's staying calm. It's staying as objective as I can in the situation like 
what are the words that I'm speaking? What are the words that I'm hearing? What are the words that I want to react to or respond to, rather? And what are the words that I'm hearing that I will be silent mm-hmm. and not react to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying you have a choice to know that you do have a choice Although it's very, it's much harder to stay, to let go of an agenda when there's contraction or fear or anger. Absolutely. But to see if things are the way they are, you have a choice of how you, as a practice, how you hear somebody's negativity or how you respond in a way that doesn't create more suffering for yourself. You're not doing it so you can get gold stars and say, oh, aren't I a wonderful person? You're, if you see the possibility, then it's a matter of practicing as best you can, seeing that the more you can let go of what you can't control and just show up with as good a heart as you can, the better the chances are of... It's, it's hard in the face of where divergent outcomes are wanted. Where what? Divergent outcomes. Divergent uh-huh. outcomes are wanting, yeah. Oh. And that's where it, it really takes, you know, sometimes two people can't do it. It takes more than, more than two people because, um, you know, you, you need a perspective, some space, some environment to hold that perspective that's not so plugged in. That makes a huge difference. So you can hear each other. Let's see. Yeah, one behind you. Well, I was thinking about um, um, what I'm wanting for my daughter mm-hmm. and noticing, um, realizing that how much the wanting, the contraction, gets in the way of being able to see what is really there in front of me. Yeah, okay. beautiful. And then also how much um, sort of the healthy wanting, um, which really I think isn't wanting somehow, it's, it's something else, um, is, um, means becoming vulnerable. So it's almost at the same time that you are opening up and inclining your mind towards what you want, you are becoming vulnerable and willing to risk disappointment. It's, it's a part of the opening up is being sort of risking it all. Yeah. Which is... It's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It, it, you have to be willing to be disappointed, but realize that you're going to survive. You know? So you've gone through... How many disappointments have you lived through in your life? And survived. You know, you survived every one mysteriously, magically. How did that happen, huh? Well, you'll probably survive this one too. So there is there is a risk, just like there's a risk in falling in love. You know, in letting your heart open and saying, "Oh my goodness, dare I risk intimacy with this this other being? What if I get hurt?" 
What if they don't respond? What if, you know, there's all kinds of what ifs that are naturally part of the equation. But if you're willing to just trust that deep place of healthy outflow of love and risk the 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 pain that might come from the attachment, which is very different from love, then chances are that energy that you put out will either be met and 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 uh, and synthesized into something that two people can share, or it won't be met, and you'll know this isn't the right person for me. But it takes a risk. All of life is a risk. Is taking a risk. And it's the risk that says, I will survive anyway, but I'm going, I'm going for it. And uh, so, good luck. Okay, we, we should stop here and uh, end with a short loving kindness. And as you uh, maybe go through this week, you might play around with the wanting in the heart and the mind. Feel the wholesome aspects of it. See if you can tease out the, that extra contraction that gets in the way. And appreciate the sincerity that you bring to your practice. And right now, just appreciate the sincerity that would uh, bring you here on a Thursday night. And send some kind thoughts to yourself. May I see through my attachments and come to a place of trust. May I be inspired by my dreams without letting them create suffering for me. May I access the love that's inside and share it well. And then to extend thoughts of well-wishing to everyone here and all beings everywhere. May all beings come to a place of peace. May all share their love well. May all wake up to their true nature. And may our coming here together be of benefit to all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you very much. See you in a couple of weeks. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.